We're going to pick up now on the Fruits of the Spirit uh, series that we've been working on. And this week, I'm going to actually take two of them together. I'm going to take uh, the next two, kindness and goodness, together. Real quick set for those of you who maybe haven't been here for all of it or maybe left and came back and forgot that we were doing this. Uh, that's why we had the fruit in the back to celebrate the Fruit of the, seri- uh, fruit of the Spirit series that um, the, the fruits of spirit description actually shows up in Galatians, but it's referenced by Jesus first in John. John 15, 80, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So he says, this is how we bring glory to God, by having God's fruit showing up in our lives. And so we kind of worked from there into the, the parable of the sower, and, and we've determined that God's fruit will be produced in our lives when the Holy Spirit enters our lives. It will happen unless we stop it. And we stop it by uh, creating an environment that's hostile to that fruit. So we've been going through the fruit, and we've been looking for two things. You know, why we want it, but also what we're doing that may be impeding its growth. And so that's what the whole series has been about, and this time we're going to take on two of them. And uh, so the thing is that we're going to be looking at these two things, kindness and goodness. We're going to be looking at them together. And the reason why we're going to do that is because in our world, in our language, they're kind of synonymous. In fact, even if you look in Thayer's dictionary, which is the, the kind of the Greek dictionary that most Bibles use for their translations, you'll see that uh, the, the definition for goodness, if you look at the third definition for goodness, it says kindness. And if you look for the third definition of kindness, you see goodness. So there is this point where these two kind of overlap, but Paul would never give us synonyms. So in, in ancient Greek, we must, be, we must be losing some kind of a, a, a nuance here because he was actually giving us two separate fruits. So I'm trying not to confuse them. In order to do that, I'm going to have to deliberately draw a line of distinction between them in our language so that we can talk about these two ideas that I believe he's discussing when he talks about kindness and goodness. And so anyway, that's, uh, that's the background for this, but uh, we're going to be talking about goodness first. So goodness is something that is, according to the first definition in the Thayer's Greek Dictionary, uprightness of the heart and life. Let me put that in another way. It's, uh, goodness is intrinsic, which means it's, it's part of you, uh, and it is something within you that knows the right thing to do. Now let me, let me say this, everybody has goodness in them. I believe that. I believe everybody is you know, is born with a sense of goodness, and and the reason why I believe that is because we're created in the image of a God who's good, and so because of that we have some goodness, and then life kind of squishes it or grows it depending on our lives. I think some people kind of have the goodness you know squeezed out of them. Maybe some choices they've made have taken them that way. Maybe just circumstances, whereas other people just seem to grow in goodness. But this is human goodness, and this isn't what Paul's talking about here. He's actually talking about the human goodness which you have that gets connected with God's goodness again. And it starts growing a goodness of God inside of your, inside of your life. That's more powerful than a human goodness ever can ever be. But we know this because even in our language, we have certain phrases that kind of, in, 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 kind of hint to the idea that everybody has goodness in them, right? Uh, you may have heard this expression, well, could you just do it out of the goodness of your heart? You know, my mom used to do that all the time when I tried to argue with her about why I didn't need to do something. Could you just do it out of the goodness of your heart? That, by the way, was a fatal last plea, you know, before she just told me because I said so, that was the next move. But, you know, but we have this idea that there's goodness in your heart. You know, the Grinch who stole Christmas, that's what that thing's all about, right? You had this heart, and, and it was goodness, but just wasn't enough. And, and so it's kind of part of our culture, this idea that goodness is intrinsic. And it's amazing to me, though, how many people 
take that and they say, like everybody will tell you they're a good person. It's, it's amazing. And not too many people say, you know what, I'm just evil. I'm just an evil person. You don't really see that. Maybe a sociopath would say that. Don't know any sociopaths or a psychopath. But, um, you know, if, if, if you just talk to people, they always say, you yeah, know, well, of course, I'm, I'm a good person, you know. And I've gotten uh, to the point where a pastor, when someone comes up and they start a conversation that way, and sometimes they do, you know. I'm like, oh, man. And in the back of my mind, <laughs> I don't know why, you know, I think in movies, I'm kind of thinking that most of us, you know, we kind of feel about um, goodness the way uh, Raymond feels about driving. Remember that from the movie? I'm an excellent driver. Yeah, that's good. Come on, come on. Uh, of course I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. If you remember, he was an excellent driver who never left the driveway. I feel that's the way some people are good. You know, I'm, of course I'm good. I'm, I'm, I have goodness inside of me. Sure. Sure, I guess so, uh, but no one knows. But you, know, it's a little secret that you're keeping, and you're keeping very well because no one really knows what you're talking about. And so um, we have this idea that we are good, but that's not really enough. We need to have God's goodness in us, and there's a reason why we would want that. Now, I, I know like last week we talked about patience. Like, gosh, who wants to be patient? Patient people always come in last. Do I really want patience in my life? Some people maybe think of that about goodness too. I don't know. Uh, do I really want goodness? Because godly goodness is, allows you to be good at a level that people can't even believe. An example of that would be like Corrie Ten Boom, if you know her story from the book The Hiding Place. You know, she was living in Nazi Germany, and she and her whole family were taken away because they were helping Jews. And her family was killed. Everybody died in the concentration camp except for her. And her sister was actually worked to death uh, by one of those really sadistic guards that just hated them and just like made it their, her mission in life to, to be cruel to these two girls. And she watched this woman work her sister to death and die. And yet later, after you know, the war was over and Corrie ten Boom became a, a you know, speaker and, and a, a, a kind of a missionary, uh, she went back to Germany. She actually was preaching in a prison one day. Uh, and in the prison, she saw one of the inmates was this woman who had killed her sister. And, you know, of course, you can imagine all the feelings that came up. But God's goodness was so great in her that she was able to go witness to that woman and lead her to the Lord. See, that's just a goodness that's beyond, I think, human comprehension. That's when God steps in and reconnects our human goodness with his spiritual goodness and makes us something that we can't expect on earth. We're God on, God's goodness is here on earth. You know, that's what you know, he, wants to, he wants to see his goodness in us on earth. That's the fruit, right? And you think, well, oh, that sounds great, but I don't know. That sounds like too hard for me too. So I'm not sure I want that. Let me give you a good reason why you definitely want God's goodness in your life. And that's because God's goodness is like a compass that points to God. In a way, a compass points north, goodness points to God. And uh, let me put that another way. Uh, it's, it's something that allows us to know what's right. Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean right as in, you know, I'm, I need some pickums for the lottery, give me the right answers, God. I don't mean that kind of right. I mean, if you have in your life the decision you're making and it seems to be confusing, have you ever been in a situation where you thought, boy, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I'd do it. I, I just don't know the right way. Because when we were kids, everything's black and white. But when you become adults, it turns into shades of gray in a hurry, right? And so you're sitting there and you're faced with this moral dilemma and you're thinking, I just wish I knew the right thing to do. That's goodness in your life. It should point you to the right thing to do. The reason why you may not see the right thing to do is because there's this distortion field called the world that's affecting you. And by the way, that happens in compasses too. A compass's, that's hard to say, a compass's ability to point north can be measured. It's something we call the polarity. And some compasses are just stronger than others. 
And, the, and what happens with the better polarity is it's able to overcome the, the fake magnetism around it and always point north, right? This is when God's goodness gets into your life. And though you have all kinds of things in the world that are trying to distract you and trying to confuse you, your compass still points to God. And you know the right thing to do, okay? When we lose God's goodness, we find ourselves being com- confused a lot about what the right thing to do is. If you find yourself being confused, you need to check the, your goodness quotient because that's what points you to God. So that's where we need to be. Okay, so um, we also have to understand that if you are a good person, if you want to be, I'm a good person, then that obligates you to use that goodness. God doesn't just give you a goodness so you can be a collector of goodness. I have this little goodness collection and I keep and I take it every night and I shine it and polish it and look at it and I like it and I put it back. Now the idea of goodness is it's there for a purpose. And if you have goodness in you, you have a greater purpose than someone who just has a little bit of goodness in you. And we know this because Jesus talks about that way. In God's economy, uh, he's always talking about if I give you a lot, I expect a lot from you. And there's a lot of us who were kind of born in a situation where we've maintained some goodness and then we've got saved and we have that goodness. And so that means that we need to do something with this goodness. We're not just supposed to have it and keep it and hoard it. We're supposed to use it. And that brings us to our second thing, which is kindness. And I love the definition, the Greek definition of kindness. It's useful good, right? It's like it's good, but it's useful. My, my grandfather was a, a missionary, but he was also a preacher. And I heard him talking to my father one time. I'll never forget this. Uh, he was talking about some people in his church that came to absolutely everything. They came to all the, all the you know, dinners. They came to all the Bible studies. They came to all the church, you know. But they, that's all they did. And then he finally says in exasperation uh, to my father, he says, Ken, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And I thought that was what a great way of putting it, right? We're supposed to be heavenly minded and earthly good. We're supposed to have good and use, be, make that good useful. And that's the idea. And here's the thing, though. If you have a lack of kindness, it destroys the goodness in your life. If you want to know what kills goodness, it is lack of kindness. Because goodness was meant to be used. And if you're not using it, Jesus says, you know what? I gave it to you. You're not using it. I'm going to take it away from you. If you remember the parable of the talents, the very end of the parable of the talents, you know, uh, at the very end, you know, real quick, you, you had those three servants and one had, one had ten, one had five, and one had one. And the guy who had one buried it and didn't do anything with it. At the very end of the, of the thing, Jesus says, and what they did was they took that one away from him and they gave it to the guy who had ten. And then he says, because to whom much is given, much is expected. And, then, and, and he actually said, I'll take it away from you if you're not using it. If you're not using it, I'll take it away. Um, Civil War story for you real quick. But in uh, the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln had a real hard time finding generals who would engage Robert Lee because he was just so good. And they were afraid of making a mistake. And so he was ripping through generals, you know. And there's this one general called McClellan. And McClellan decided if he never engaged Lee, he would never lose his position. So he's actually avoiding him. And uh, Lincoln famously sent him a telegram that says, Dear General McClellan, if you are not presently using my, my army, may I borrow it, right? Because this idea, we're supposed to be using it. We're not supposed to just sit around. And, and so we're supposed to take this and we're supposed to use it. It's an important part because if not, we become very self-centered. Even goodness can make you self-centered. We get kind of caught up in our own goodness. Look at me, look at me, how good I am. We kind of get, we get caught up in it. We center ourselves on ourselves. We're like, well, yeah, I'm a good person. And, and because of that, we're not going to grow. God's going to have taken that away. Somebody who is self-centered cannot do that and still reach for God. 
If you think about the picture of someone standing in the center and reaching, they're putting themselves off balance, which you know, we're supposed to, because kindness is supposed to move us off of self-centered. We're not supposed to be centered on self. We're supposed to move. So if that's so, if kindness will give us goodness, and goodness gives us a sense of right and wrong and all kind of great things in our lives, what's killing the kindness in our lives? Well, I actually uh, have three things for you. I'm going to be a preacher today and give you a three-point sermon. And uh, I have three things for you that's killing kindness in your life. And you look at this. You need to look honestly. Am I a kind person? And am I a kind person is easy to know. Am I a good person is harder because it's internal, but kindness is easy. You can almost ask people around you, am I a kind person? And they'll tell you if they're truthful. <laughs> so ask somebody you love close, like your family. They'll tell you. No, you're not kind. So anyway, so first of all is hoarding your kindness will, of course, make you lose it. We just talked about that. But hoarding it oftentimes just means saving it for those that matter. My family. My family gets my kindness, although my family would disagree with that. My family gets my kindness, right? My family, my close friends, they get my kindness. My dog gets my kindness. The things close to me that matter gets my kindness. The things outside of this circle, though, not so much, right? Uh, that's hoarding it. But it goes beyond that. There's some people who just don't seem to deserve kindness if we're honest. You know, there's some people we know of. They don't deserve the kindness. We wouldn't put in those terms, but we're not giving them kindness, and we know they need it. So why aren't we? Well, a lot of times it's because, uh, you know, they've made some choices that maybe aren't so good. Maybe that's why they're in the problem they're in. Why should I be kind to somebody like that? Right? So when you start making decisions of who deserves kindness, instead of listening to the goodness that's in you to tell you who needs kindness, you'll find kindness slowly dies on the vine. And when kindness dies on the vine, your goodness dies on the vine. And that's when your family notices you're no longer good nor kind. Not to them either. And that's the problem. Many years ago, I guess not that many, I was in Pittsburgh, but before we opened the church, I had this very uncomfortable incident at Walmart. And you all know that like Walmart is my testing ground for my Christianity. <laughs> I go to Walmart, I know I'm going to be tested in every inch of my Christianity from the start of the moment to the end of the moment. It's always like working out my spirituality whenever I go there. But so I was there and um, Victoria and I often split up the shopping list and I run off and do things and come back. Um, anyway, so I was off looking for hot, I'll never forget the hot dogs. I was like looking around uh, for the hot dogs and I, you know, she was off doing her thing. And in the corner of my eye, I saw this woman starting to approach me. Now I'm standing in the hot dog area with a lot of other people, but I knew this woman was walking up to me. And I kind of look a little bit closer out of the corner of my eye because I don't want to make eye contact. And I don't know her. I have no idea who she is, but I can tell she's coming towards me. Uh, and so as she gets closer, I actually look and um, she's a little bit um, older, and she's kind of disheveled. You know, I could tell her clothes are a little dirty. Her hair is not really done. Uh, and she looks at me, and she asks me the strangest thing. She says, do you know where the pampers are? <laughs> and I look down. I'm not wearing a blue vest, you know. I'm surrounded by women who are also shopping, you know. Here I am. And ladies, you know if you see me alone in my aisle, I've gotten lost from my wife, and there'll be an announcement over the speaker pretty soon when Mark Christ, please return to the service desk. Your wife is looking for you or something, you know. I just look lost when I'm there. And so why she came up to me in order to ask me where the pampers that I hadn't looked for in 22 years, would I have no idea, but she came up to me. And when she spoke, of course, she was also missing some teeth. So at the first time I said, would you, excuse me? Yeah, I didn't know what she said at first and then she repeated it do you know where the pampers are I said no I'm sorry I don't you know <laughs> and uh, she says to me I can never find anything they keep changing them to store it used to be right there I said oh 
I, that's good to know, but I still don't know where the pampers are, you know. And I'm trying to disengage, but she kind of wants to talk to me a minute about her struggle in finding pampers. And so we talk a little bit, and I find my hot dogs. I'm well, I got to go. And so, you know, I'm walking along. And I'm walking up, but that was the weirdest, you know, thing that could happen. And then this really uncomfortable thought hit me. You would have helped her if she was good looking. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, no, 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 no. I don't come to Walmart to flirt, believe me. You know, it's not, I wouldn't do that. And so like, that, that's not true. And the voice didn't let up, though. So I didn't say flirt. I said, well, you would have helped them if they're good looking. And that made me uncomfortable because I thought, I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true. Do I only help people who are good looking? Or maybe, let me put it another way, who kind of look like me. You know, not that I think I'm good looking, but that came out wrong. But you know what I mean? Like dress kind of like I'm dressed and act kind of like I act. That's what I mean. Is that, is that the people I help? And I kind of started feeling uncomfortable about that, you know? And this is before I was a pastor or anything. And, and, but I was walking and I'm thinking, ah, that's not even true. But it occurred to me that I've helped people in the past. You know, I really have, uh, especially if I'm trying to kill time at Walmart anyway. I might as well help somebody find. I, I started kind of back and forth on this a little bit, you know? And I'm looking for Victoria with my hot dogs in one hand. And wouldn't you know, I walk right through the Pampers aisle, which, <laughs> to this woman's credit, was nowhere near I would have put the Pampers aisle either. I mean, I have no idea what Walmart's thinking. And um, I think they actually want you to get lost so you buy the things. I think that's what they're thinking. And so I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Here are the Pampers, you know? And so, and because it's Walmart, there was a package of Pampers that was open and come somewhere strewn out. Probably someone got changed right in that aisle, knowing it's Walmart, you know? And so I pick up that pamper, and I went looking for that woman, you know, it was like crazy, you know, I've got pamper in one hand, hot dogs in the other, wandering around lost, that must, you know, that must be what everybody else is doing at Walmart too, maybe this is why they're all like me, they're wandering lost for reasons, and so, I, and I find her, you know, I say, hey, I'm brandishing up real proud, I found the pampers, and she goes, oh, she was nowhere near it, right, she like given up on the pampers, she said, where are they, and I told her, well, it's down there, I start explaining, I says, I'll take you there, you know, so I walk her over to the Pampers, I had to return the Pamper anyway, not walking around with that, and so, you know, I took her there, and I handed it, and I felt good about myself afterwards, and I walked out, but I started to think about that, we have a tendency to help the people we want to help, and it doesn't have to be good looking or not good looking, although they've done studies on that, it could be just your subculture too, you know, if I'm all tatted up with piercings, I'll probably be more likely to help someone who's tatted up with piercings. And they're, my, they're my group, they're my people. And so I have a ten, you, know, you have a tendency to help the people, you're, but you're holding off kindness from somebody who needs it and deserves it. And I really do believe that was God challenging me even then to start thinking and rethinking about what constitutes goodness and kindness. Because the point is, if God says they need to be helped, they need to be helped whether you think they do or not. Now, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, look, if you love those who love you, what credit's that? Everybody does that. It doesn't make you special. That makes you human. He said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to uh, also, the people who cannot help you, I want you to help those too. Every sinner lends to sinners, uh, but love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return. And I believe lending is not just money, it's give. A lot of times we help people can help us later, right? That's how the world goes around, right? I'll do you a favor today. Someday in the future, I'll come to you and I'll ask for a favor, you know, like the Godfather. Then you can return the favor then. I'm calling in my marker. That's how the world works, but that's not how God's world works. He says, I, I, here's who I need you to help. The people I tell you to help. That's who I need you to help. It doesn't matter whether you think they deserve it or not. 
you need to do that. Which brings us to the next one, using kindness to get ahead. Now, sometimes we do, like I said, kind of a, I'll do you a favor, you do me a favor. Or I, I have a friend who I know that if I help them, they'll help me. That's not what I'm talking about here necessarily. Sometimes we use it to get ahead just in our own eyes or people around us. There's a lot of that goes on. There's a lot of kindness that gets done in front of the camera, isn't there? And it's amazing to me how when celebrities do something kind, there's always a camera and reporter there to catch them. You know, you always know what they're doing. Well, you start wondering after a while, you know, why are they doing it? We saw this play out big time with Elon Musk and his little submarine, you know, recently. Why did he do that? What, what was the motivation behind it? People don't trust that. And so a lot of times we kind of get into that too. Maybe I should help them. We kind of look around to see who's watching. You know, that's, if I'm going to do this, you know, give me some pub, pub you know, give me, give me some good reps here. I, I need people to see me do this so that I can use it later to enhance myself. Even if it just makes me feel better if people applaud. You know, whatever that is, you know, there's something about me that, like, ah, you know, I'll help that person if it helps me in some way. And that's what we have to be afraid of there. In Matthew, uh, Jesus says this, is, look, hypocrites will do their works in synagogues and in the streets so they may be honored by men. And I tell you, they've had their reward. Like, that's it. God doesn't count it, he's saying. God doesn't care. Because what they wanted was the praise of man. They got the praise of man. You know, that's a transaction. That's nothing special. It's, they didn't do anybody a favor. They got something in return. So as far as God's concerned, that doesn't even count as kindness. They have had their reward. He says, look, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed. Otherwise, you will get no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Here, here's, here's what you're working for, in case you're wondering. Here's why you do kindness. You want the applause from nail-scarred hands. That's what you need. you need. You need God to say, that's my kid. Proud of them. See what my kid did? That's, that's what we're working for, right? We're working for heaven looking down saying, now that's what I'm talking about. Right there. That's, that's my fruit on earth that is reaching out to others and creating kindness for them. He says, look, if you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Let your giving be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's a very true statement, but I want you to understand he doesn't say on earth. Your Father will reward you. There's a party in heaven. You may not know about it till later. And we have to understand that that's where it goes. And the other thing is sometimes we don't want to help. This kind of goes back to the first one until we see if other people are helping them. A lot of churches join in on things that other churches are doing. It's amazing how there's so much need in our community and we all get together and do one thing. <laughs> we got a lot of churches. We have a lot of need. Maybe we should be splitting up. But I don't want to do that because, you know, they've probably already vetted those people. And we've helped some people in this church that as we helped them, we knew not only were we not going to get any thanks, but, you know, they probably had some situations they, that were self-inflicted. You know, but God calls them to your heart. You help them anyway. And that's the point behind that. And uh, when Peter, this is, this is after Jesus comes back, and Jesus is talking to him about, you know, his future, he looks over at John. He says, what about that person there? What about him? And Jesus says, what do you care about him? I'm talking to you. You follow me. This is Jesus. He's always a personal walk. You know, I don't know about helping that person. Doesn't seem like anybody else is helping that person. What do you care about them? Jesus says, you follow me. That's, that, it's you and me here. 
That's it. My relationship with you, Peter, he says, is my relationship with you. My relationship with John is my relationship with John. He might live till I come back again. What do you care? You follow me. We have to stop looking to the left and to the right before we decide if we're going to help somebody out. If God is moving your heart, you need to do it. You need to act upon it. This is what he requires of us. And the last thing uh, is letting past disappointments decide future kindness. I've helped people before. It didn't work out. What does it even mean it didn't work out, by the way? It usually means they didn't say thanks. I have helped people before, and then, you know, they, they didn't say thanks. So I'm not going to help this person. We had a situation happen here in the church a few years ago now um, where some people in the church had a heart for somebody who was really kind of an outcast of society here in our, here in our community. Uh, she was working at 51 as a prostitute. And some women in this church and a couple other churches just had a heart for her. And they started feeling sorry and they started feeling compassion. And that's hard to do sometimes because you know choices were made to get them to where they are, but no matter what choices made or what life did to them, that is a soul-crushing way to eat God in existence. And so a lot of people felt compassion and they started a program where they're actually trying to help her out a little bit just to let her know God loves her. That's it. And they would hand her cards. They would sometimes pick her up to drive her to a better place, you know, just to talk to her. And, and a lot of people kind of shined in. At first, she was very suspicious. What's this all about? But after a while, she got used to the fact there were certain people that just saying, hey, God loves you. God loves you. And, and after a while, um, this person got caught doing more than just solicitation, but also transportation with intent to sell. And she ended up in prison. And that's when the Psalm 91 ministry kicked in and started writing her letters, reminding her, hey, God still loves you. You know, there's nothing you do that can take you beyond the God, love of God. And they kept writing her letters and things. And when she got out, they actually went to, to get her when she got out of prison. And they had presents for her, you know, gave it to her. And she was just like overwhelmed. And she said, you know, your letters really kept me going when I was in prison. And, and I'm, I've got a Bible and I'm going to turn my life around. And I'm, you know, I'm interested in Jesus. And I'm interested in all this. And, and I want to come to church with you. And they said, great, we'll pick you up. You know, it was like a Saturday. So we'll pick you up tomorrow. We'll bring you to church. She goes, okay, great. And then in the morning early, she called the person supposed to give her a ride. Says, ah, I'm not feeling very well. Then I'm going to go to church today. And that was it. You know, one excuse after another before long, see so you're back on Route 51. Hey, that's hard. You know, that's reaching out in kindness, wanting nothing except the best for them. But here's the thing. You know, you say, God, why did I even bother? You know, why did I even bother? I did all that, and, and what I get? Nothing. That's what I got. Why would I even do that? Well, first of all, you did all that because God told you to do it. You're absolutely right. You didn't get nothing. It's just your reward's in heaven. It's not here yet. God will not force somebody to choose him. He can't. And people will always have the choice. And sometimes the people you watch make bad choices. And it hurts because you know it's a bad choice, but it's not your choice to make. Here's what we have to be careful of, though. Well, that's it. I'm not going to help anybody else again. That's it. Forget it. Yeah, just forget about that. And we're exhorted by uh, Paul and Galatians. Look, let's don't become weary in doing good. In the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let's keep going, he says. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Sometimes things don't get resolved here on earth. Sometimes they get resolved in heaven. You can't give up. You've got to keep pressing on. That's who wins the prize, he says. We have to keep pressing on. It's easy to quit, though. It's easy to get discouraged. Satan is good at coming in those moments and discouraging you and saying everything you did was worth nothing. You wasted your time and, and you should never do it again because he is deathly afraid of a group of Christians showing kindness. 
I'm telling you, you can sing all the songs you want as long as you stay in this building and Satan's fine with it. You're not worrying him. Christians off by themselves doing individual Bible studies, they don't worry him. It's when the people decide, you know what, we're going to take what God's telling us and move out in the world and do something with it that the gates of hell begin to shake. So we have to understand that Satan's fine if we're all going to stay all here together in a little tiny holy huddle and never get out there to play the game. Kindness is the way we play the game. This is moving God's will on earth. This is bringing God's heaven earth. Is being kind to everybody. People that God brings into your life. Being kind. Showing them kindness. This is how your kindness grows. This is how your goodness grows. This is how God's fruit begins to really flourish in your life. So fast forward some time. We had a woman come into this church when we had our Saturday evening service. And she was telling us about her, uh, I don't even know, it's a relation, because I always get it wrong. Every time I tell a story, I get it wrong. Victoria corrects me later. So I'll just simply say relation. And uh, he was getting sent to prison. And uh, so she was a little bit upset about it, but you know, thinking hopefully maybe God will get a hold of him because his, he kind of wandered away. You know, he came from a good family. He was taught the right things, but he wandered away. And she says, maybe this is what he needs. You know, maybe this is what he needs to come back. And so Psalm 91 ministry went back to work, you know, and they started writing him letters. And as far as I know, I don't think we ever heard back from him. I don't think he sent us a letter. Um, and I talked to some people who were writing those letters, and they said, I don't even know what to say, especially after what happened last time. I don't even know what to say. I just simply write, you know, that God loves them and give them a scripture. That's all I can think of to do. That's all I do. You know, I said, well, then that's all you do. But keep going. Persevere. Don't stop. Keep going. So we, I don't think we ever heard from him. Uh, and then he got out of prison, and of course we stopped writing letters to him at that point. I say we like I'm writing the letters. I wasn't. This is another ministry. And uh, anyway, so, and that was it. Until about six months ago or so, I think now, I got a phone call one day, and it was from him. He says, look, I want to tell you, I got out of prison about six months ago, and I joined Teen Challenge, and I moved to Colorado with them, and it's made a whole difference in my life. My whole life's been turned around. I want you to know that. He says, uh, in fact, uh, it's all because of Spirit Chapel. They were the only church who wrote me when I was in prison. Now, by the way, this person who told us about this story actually belongs to a church about four to five times our size. No one wrote a letter from that church, not one. And he says, but you guys wrote letters and I came to depend upon them to get me through my week. I began to look forward to them. Like I said, I don't believe he ever wrote us and told us that. The people just diligently kept doing the kindness. He said, that got me through. That's changed my life. I've turned it around. I want to come to Spirit Chapel and tell everybody thanks. I said, yeah, you got the floor. You know, come on. They want to hear that. And the day he was supposed to be here, he called me up. I can't make it. Oh, boy. His wife got a rushed emergency room, and he had to go. He said, and then I won't be able to stay. I won't be here another week. I was just back visiting family. But please tell everybody Spirit Chapel, they changed my life. What if we had given up when the first one disappointed us? What if we said, you know what, that's it, no more of this. That ministry ain't working. Let's move to something else, right? The idea is that we need to persevere. We need to keep on. We need to keep going. James says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast, even under trial. For when he stood the test, that's when he received the crown. You know, it's not worth it if it's easy. We know that. Everything in life that you have that you really treasure, think about it, didn't come easy. You have to persevere. You have to get through it. It's really interesting to me. We talk about uh, goodness and kindness, and you could have two other words for that, or one other word. You could call it goodness and mercy. 
We talked about Psalm 23 last week. I want to end with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's mercy? Mercy is just goodness in action. That's what David was talking about. At the end of Psalm 23, here's what I want to have all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and kindness. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I always kind of thought this was like, when I get there, this is going to lead me to the house of the Lord where I'll dwell forever. And then you can interpret it that way. But there's another interpretation. That his whole days, he's going to be in the house of the Lord. Because he's surrounded by goodness and mercy. He's not just talking about God's goodness and mercy to him. He's talking about goodness and mercy. Because what we're given, we, we receive freely, we give freely. It is really, really important that we as Christians show kindness, especially to the people who we don't think deserve it. Because we didn't deserve kindness, and God showed it to us. And we have to remember that. We have to remember where we came from on that. You know, I, I am like a lot of you concerned about where our nation's going on many issues. There's some things and there's some organizations that just make my blood boil as I watch my country fall apart before my eyes and things that used to be true, like that's a men's room and that's a woman's room, no longer true. I mean, it's just crazy some of the stuff going on. But if we don't stop acting with anger and start acting with kindness, well, we're no better than the rest. It, it kills me to see pictures of Christian protesters face-to-face, anger contorted, arguing with non-Christian protesters. What good is that? Just so you know, we haven't gotten through the whole list yet. Judgmental is not on the list of fruits of spirit. It's not. We don't compromise what is right and what is wrong, but we react out of kindness and goodness. And if we don't, people won't think we're any different than anybody else. And that's the label that's being stuck on the Christian church. Hey, you're no different than anybody else. You act the same way. We need to act differently. We don't change our beliefs, but we need to act differently. Um, one slide I didn't get a chance to make is because some people said, well, I thought the Christian life was all about belief. No, the Christian life starts with belief. The Christian matures through action. Would you all please pray with me?